This ad-free podcast is part of your Slate Plus membership. Lucky you. To Big Mood, Little Mood. I am your host, Danny Lavery, and with me in the studio this week is Sarah Marshall, a writer, media critic, and host of the Modern History podcast, You're Wrong About. She's also the co-host of the Feelings podcast about movies, You Are Good, with Alex Steed. Sarah, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited for the next hour of my life. I am too, not least because I feel like with your with your own shows, you've got sort of the whole human experience covered. Like you're wrong and you're good. <laughs> I know. And like I'm such a spreader of that idea of humanity that like you must embrace your weakness because it's there that you're good. And I think it's because that's such a hard concept for me and I am get so stressed out and tough on myself. Well, I I appreciate both the ways in which those two attitudes are really expansive and Mm. the ways in which they can keep a a listener potentially slightly on their guard. Like, you're wrong, but don't worry. I like you. Um, (laughs) And I think either sort of uh, spin on it really works for me. Yeah, it's like Um, podcast career as neg. uh, You know, there is a time and place, I'm sure. Uh, (laughs) At at some point in human history, surely someone has been charmed by an egg. Um, (laughs) I'm, I'm not sure. Footage not found, but yeah, maybe. I never want to rule it out. I mean, I've certainly, I'm I'm sure there have been occasions where, if not charmed, I was at least piqued. Like, it certainly got my attention. Yeah. Do you have a sense, uh, having already looked at some of these questions, whether you think you're going to be leaning into the you're wrong aspect today or the you're good aspect today? Or does that still remain to be seen? I think I'm going to lean into the you're good aspect because I think I'm, I just, I think I'm so... These questions are really hard. I feel like I'm going to be like, you know what? Who am I to say? Yeah, yeah. That, that is always the challenge of any kind of advice-giving proposition is it does collapse under the weight of who am I to say, um, at which point all you can do is, uh, I, I suppose, react with, well, I'm the one saying it, so let's keep going. Right. I'll take our first letter, uh, which I, I have found like, oh, this one's easy, um, just because so many of the questions that I normally have for the, the show are around... Uh, questions of like, how do I deal with an ongoing family problem that involves multiple generations um, and, you know, un- untold uh, emotional and financial entanglements. So this is at least whose dog is wrong. Hmm. The subject is sleepy neighbor. I have a new neighbor with two small dogs. When she moved in, she had the yard, a corner lot fenced. She lets the dogs out around 7 a.m. and leaves them for at least half an hour. The problem is that they are very vocal and they police the yard as other people take their dogs out for a morning walk. They bark the whole time. I'm a dog owner myself, and I love dogs, but this lady seems oblivious to the ruckus that they cause. I've heard her say to some folks walking by, sorry, dogs are going to do what dogs are going to do. I did stop to chat when she first moved in, and I wave on occasion, but she's not very friendly, and I don't think she'll be very receptive to input. I have thought about putting an ultrasonic bark zapper in her mailbox with a note encouraging her to try it. But I feel like if she was concerned, she wouldn't leave them out there in the first place. I hate to be the neighborhood bitch, but since the pandemic, I sleep in later and longer, and these dogs are definitely interrupting. Do you have any words of wisdom? Do you have any experience, by the way, with ultrasonic dog zappers? I have to say my first reaction to that is like, that sounds like 
something you tell yourself that is going to do. Like, I, I find it very difficult to believe that those actually do anything. Right. I mean, I believe that it would work, I guess. But my first thought is like, people don't respond well to being told by strangers how to take care of their pets or babies. <laughs> I think that's true. I can confirm that that is, uh, generally speaking, uh, an accurate rule. Right. It's like a bad foot to start on. Like, I guess I know that. I'm really glad that you think this question is on the easy side. And I imagine this speaks to the fact that you're like working out every day at the advice gym. And this is like <laughs> something that you develop muscles about. But I, this question makes me feel like a robot trying to learn human software where I'm like, I'm so bad at problem solving this kind of like introduce yourself to a neighbor thing because I just get like so stressed out and I overthink it. And I don't do anything. And I'm just like, this is when I get up now or something. Um, here's my guess. And this might be like a random. I'm curious whether you think this is like on the right track. I don't think this is it. But my attempt at it is like bring them over some nice flowers and some dog treats prepackaged, of course. So they don't think you're trying to poison anybody and be like, hey, maybe you could let your dogs out more briefly first thing in the morning. I would certainly appreciate it. Thank you so much. Okay, bye. Yeah, I, I, you know, I certainly felt in the line about the prepackaged, so they know you're not trying to poison them. Um, <laughs> what you had said, which was that you feel a little bit like a robot, just that sort of like, I don't know, man, this doesn't sound real, but I guess you could say this. Yeah, I mean, I do think I have like an ultimately slightly fatalistic approach to this one, which is just, yep. My guess is you will maybe be able to make some progress with your neighbor by being friendly and upbeat. Um, I'd be surprised if that resulted in like a perfect solution to your problem. And unless you really felt like taking your neighbor to like small claims court um, or like getting very familiar with like the noise ordinances in your town and possibly dedicating way more of your time and energy to trying to like bring the city council down on her, my guess is you're just going to have a neighbor with dogs who bark um, for about a half an hour in the morning. And that's one of those problems that comes with living in uh, a city or a relatively close lot in town, which is just sometimes other people are frustrating. So mm -hmm. that's sort of my starting point is like, you might be able to make some progress here, but my guess is for the foreseeable future, you're going to have some dogs barking in your neighborhood for about a half an hour or so most mornings at 7am. And that sucks. Um, this is such a good advice technique, though, because it's like, well, let's think about the ask, like, what percentage of this do you have any control over over or can you aspire to have control over? Yeah. What's what's the amount that you can control and what are the stakes? Like nobody here is like leaving their dogs outside chained up in the yard for days at a time without food and water. This isn't a question of animal abuse. Um, it can still bring up really strong feelings and people who feel very strongly about whether or not, you know dogs barking in a yard for half an hour are happy and having a great time and just being boisterous or if they're like agitated and could be, uh, you know, being treated better. But I, I feel comfortable saying this does not rise to the level of like obvious neglect or abuse such that the animal's lives are in danger. So that kind of limits your ability to bring in outside intervention. Um, and it's also not like it is all day, every day, such that I'm tempted to just steal the dogs. And I have occasionally signed off on advising people to steal a dog. It's it's rare that I do, but you know, it doesn't rise to that level either. So again, like my fundamental approach here is I think, you know, going over and talking is probably the best way. You don't have to do like flowers that might be feeling like a little bit much, but I think the idea of like 
a little thing of dog biscuits is lovely. And just putting in that request, like if it's possible to do 10 or 15 minutes, I would really appreciate it. Please consider it. That's polite and reasonable. You know, she's been a little bit indifferent or oblivious, but it's not like she has, um, you know, screamed at people for saying anything to her. So if the worst that happens is she says, hey, dogs are going to do what dogs are going to do, you know, that is survivable. You can say like, well, I hope you change your mind. Bye. Um, And it occurs to me that your neighbor could then also say, well, you know, I leave for, this is a hypothetical, but they could say based on the information we have, I leave for work and I have a long commute and this is their time to play in the yard while I'm home. And then they have to be crated or something. And so this is kind of their time to be active. At which point as a neighbor, you would have to be like, oh, okay. (laughs) Yeah. You know, maybe, maybe that would be a potential outcome. Maybe not. I think it's hard to say. My guess is that you will at best get a little something from her and she will be a little bit more mindful in the morning. Um, Worst case scenario is she just says like, no, and you wasted 10 minutes of your time bringing her some dog biscuits and you're no worse off than you were before. Um, you know, if, if part of you is worried that if you were to have this conversation with her, you would get drawn into a back and forth argument, just decide ahead of time. Like if she wants to fight with you, you can decline to fight. You can always say, well, I'm going to go, you know? Um, but yeah, there's, there's really no way to like go over her head. Like I promise you especially if she's already a little bristly, like leaving an anonymous zapper in her mailbox is going to make her feel defensive and put upon. And she's probably going to want to like move in the direction of perversity and like encourage her dogs to bark more. Um, so I, I would not encourage that particular route of action on top of which I am skeptical that like little zappers actually convince dogs not to bark or that that's like a good thing to do. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, you might have to just occasionally take more naps or try to fall back asleep. Um, It's not that I think this is great. I just think that, like, what are your other options? Call the city? That's not a a reasonable use of your time. And that's frankly not what a city should be doing. Um, I think that's it. I'm just sorry. I hope you find other opportunities to sleep. I'm becoming better adjusted already. I think you're doing fabulous. I think you're doing so well, in fact, that I'm going to promote you to letter reader and uh, ask you to take our second letter because I'm just, I'm, I'm done with the first one. I'm like, sorry, <laughs> that's rough. Subject, unconvincingly non-traditional. I've recently become close with a friend I've known for a year. After hooking up a few months ago, we've been spending as much time together as work and living in different cities allows. I really like her, and as far as I can tell, she likes me too, but we haven't talked about the nature of our relationship, and I'm worried about disappointing her if, when we do. I'm pretty gun-shy after my last relationship ended badly a few years ago. I live with another friend and her kid. They're my family and my first priority. I tried to make this clear to my ex, but in hindsight, she didn't realize this meant I wouldn't ever want to move out and be a, quote, real family just with her. This time I've made an effort to keep these two parts of my life separate, but it's not sustainable for me emotionally, and I'm worried about accidentally strong-arming someone into a family they aren't interested in being in again or making myself vulnerable to someone who might end up disappointed and resentful. I also don't want to scare her off by asking for too much commitment too fast. 
How can I communicate that these important things about my life aren't going to change, and if she does want to start a relationship with me, she can't expect them to? Or is it unfair to expect her to even think about this before we're even officially together? I found this letter writer very sweet, very earnest, very thoughtful. Yeah, um, yeah I had a, a number of different reactions and thoughts about what might potentially be useful next moves for this letter writer. But before I jump into that, was there anything in particular that stood out to you here, either in terms of how the letter writer's been thinking about the end of their last relationship or what they can do for this kind of burgeoning one? I mean, I feel like what they're communicating is that their last relationship ended badly because the person they were in a relationship with wanted to become top priority or to take precedence over this friend family that they have made um, or something like that. I would be interested even in talking about what the the nature of that relationship ending was was maybe like. But the, to me, the thing that stands out most is that there's this phrase that's really tossed off that I feel like maybe is the most important thing they're saying, which is, I've made an effort to keep these two parts of my life separate, but it's not sustainable for me emotionally. And does that mean that even if they were to have these two big relationships and parts of their life separate, that even that working in that way wouldn't be sustainable? That's my big question. Yeah, that's so funny. The The phrase that had stuck out most to me was just right after that, which is that line about, I'm I'm worried about accidentally strong-arming someone. Yeah. Um, and, mm. and that one really leapt out uh, to me because I don't want to say that there's no way that I can see someone accidentally strong-arming somebody else. Um, but that fear uh, doesn't seem to me to match what happened based on how the letter writer has described it. Like letter writer, it doesn't sound like your previous relationship um, fell apart because you, you know, subconsciously or in a plausibly deniable fashion tried to force your partner at the time into doing something that she didn't want to do. It had more to do with you did your best to be clear about where your priorities were and you had a partner who maybe uh, took a little time to sort of realize that that wouldn't work for her if we want to put it charitably. And maybe if we don't want to put it charitably, was hoping that she could talk you out of it. So again, like it just doesn't look to me like you were accidentally strong arming your ex so much as she was hoping you didn't really mean it. Yeah. And I think that this is such a hard area because you can be a very conscientious person and yet you can spend a long time worrying about things that go beyond conscientiousness and into taking responsibility for parts of a relationship that you're not responsible for. Yeah. And again, I don't want to, you know, assume too many things about your ex letter writer. Um, and it's certainly possible that she started that relationship with you thinking she was okay with that. And then as time went on and she began to feel more seriously about you, realized something else. So uh, I, I don't want to, you know, be too hard on her either in this situation. But um, it is not unheard of for someone to get into a relationship with somebody else 
and kind of hope at the back of their mind that something they've told you about themselves isn't really going to be true or that you'll be able to sort of like talk them out of it. Or, um, you know, sometimes that comes up for people around the idea of having children together. Sometimes that comes up around marriage it can come up around other things. But the problem in that potentially was either that your ex-girlfriend wasn't being as honest with herself as she could have been in order to kind of realize sooner actually, as much as I want this relationship to work out, that is going to be a deal breaker for me. So it's better to be honest with myself now rather than sort of pretend, oh, well, we'll worry about that later and maybe things will be different then. Mm. Or she wasn't sufficiently honest with you and was really genuinely like consciously hoping I'll be able to talk them out of it when, you know, when they see how great I am. We've been together for six months or a year or two years and they're like, wow, you're so great. Fuck these people. Let's move in together. And, you know, again, I don't want to assign like conscious malice to your ex here. I'll just say, based on your description of, I tried to be really clear and I realized after the fact she didn't really want to hear that or she didn't really believe me when I said I'm not going to move out. You know, maybe there were ways in which you could have been clearer sooner about specifics around moving out, but I I, I want to take you at your word when you say that you were making things clear. Um, So... Yeah, I I don't think the issue there was that you accidentally strong-armed her. I think the issue there was you two wanted really different things, and she was really banking on you changing your mind, and you didn't. Mm -hmm. That's not strong-arming, accidental or otherwise. And this maybe relates to the idea that there doesn't need to be malice um, for a relationship to end very painfully. And this idea of accidentally strong arming suggests, you know, maybe what if I accidentally was guilty of malice? And it's like, you know, I, you had to have known about it, I think, for, <laughs> for there to be malice in, the, in those actions. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's fair too. I, I absolutely think there's room in this particular story for the ex-girlfriend in question to have, you know, genuinely thought of herself as trying to find a respectful compromise and was not trying to undermine you. But I do think it's also true that lots of people, especially in a romantic relationship, don't necessarily uh, respect or prioritize someone else's non-romantic commitments. And that's more of a sort of like social dynamic rather than something that like your individual ex-girlfriend is is particularly answerable for. Um, but I think one of the things that might serve you really well in the future is thinking, you know, it is one thing to just be like straightforward and, and frank upfront about my primary partner is my friend who I live with and and their kid. And sometimes people are like, oh, that's so sweet. That's so lovely. That makes you an even more desirable romantic partner. And I can't wait until someday, like some of that gets redirected at me. Mm. Um, so it, I, I guess... What I want to say there is not like if somebody tells you, sure, 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 I get it, I respect that, you should assume that they are being dishonest so much as um, bear in mind that that might happen more than once. You know, hopefully you can screen for that. Hopefully you can look for other people with similar commitments maybe. But um, I would say be aware that like don't just take one conversation where you seem like you're on the same page as like, that's it, we're golden. Like look for other ways to screen for signs of skepticism. Does that seem reasonable to you? Does that seem overly suspicious? No, I I do think that's reasonable because I think that's really about continuing to talk about what you want and what makes you happy because those things really change because we're these changing organisms. And I feel like, and this is speaking certainly to my own 
anxieties about relationships, something I've been thinking about is the idea of like, you can't ensure that you're not going to get hurt. That's one of the, maybe the big themes here. And if you uh, enter into a relationship with someone and agree on certain terms going forward, then change can still occur. People can realize things that they didn't know before. Needs can change. And like, on some level, you have to be willing to have that outcome. Yeah, I I think that the strongest feeling I got from this letter was it will be really good for you to think of having some of these conversations relatively early on in romantic relationships as not just a good thing, but like an inevitability, something you do as a matter of course, like, I don't know, going to the dermatologist once a year and getting your moles checked. Like, you know, if your fear is, I'm afraid that I'll disappoint potential partners and specifically this potential partner by being honest about my, you know, primary familial commitments, you know, what are your two options there? One is put off that conversation for as long as you can. And the other is have it up front. And if you put it off, you know, the advantage is you don't have to have it right now. The disadvantage is potentially it becomes harder to talk about when you're more emotionally invested in each other. Um, Potentially there's more of a sense of like being aggrieved on, on the other side of like, I wish you had told me this sooner you might be making more work for yourself further down the road. So those are some of the downsides. Some of the downsides to having the conversation early are it's a tough conversation. Um, and you might get some people who you really hoped things would work out with saying something like, I'm not interested in that. Thanks for letting me know, but let's let's break up now because this is you know incompatible with what I want from a romantic relationship. And that's hard and painful, but it you know, if if that was going to be the case, then it was merely a matter of time um, when you broke up over this. So I, I just think that should lead you in the direction of this is not a conversation that can be permanently postponed or avoided. It has to happen. Um, and in fact, it's like good and useful and necessary information that I can give to a potential partner so that we can figure out if we like can make a go of a relationship together. And that is in fact a good thing, even if it doesn't feel immediately easy or intuitive. So, you know, if there were a way that putting this conversation off could keep you from ever disappointing her, I would advise you to do it. If there were a way to do that, I would want you to be able to follow that path because wouldn't that be fabulous if you never had to worry about even the possibility of disappointing somebody that you like? Um, But I don't know of one, unfortunately. Did you feel like, I'm sort of curious if there's a possible move here for the letter writer to talk about some of this with their friend that they live Mm. with? Not necessarily in terms of like, tell me what to do, but just sort of like, you know, presumably you and your friend have both said to one another, this is the big commitment. I don't know if this is uh, totally reciprocal or if like your friend is like, I'll date other people and I might later decide to prioritize them, but I'm okay if you're prioritizing me. Like, I don't know how equitable or um, like um, acknowledged that is. So I don't want to make too many assumptions. Did you get a sense of, of what might possibly be going on there? Yeah, I mean, I do feel like more communication there can never hurt. And I mean, another thing that occurs to me to wonder is there was a problem with uh, the ex wanting the letter writer to move out and be, quote, a real family just with her. And like another theme here that is 
really important in a lot of people's lives is what does it mean to add a member to a family? And is that something that are, could ever be on the table? Um, or that there is anxiety about the possibility of or someone wanting that? Yeah. Yeah. That seems really worth discussing to me as well. Like, um, I, and again, I just, I don't know because there's not a lot of information about that friend in this letter, Mm -hmm. but I am curious, like, have you two ever talked about if either of you ever had a romantic partner that you might potentially want to talk about moving in into the family home, depending on the age of the kid in question? Um, do you have any thoughts about how you might discuss that? Does it, is it something where it needs to be unanimous? Like, where does your friend stand on that? Where do you stand on that? Um, yeah, that, that that seems like an important conversation as well as, you know, saying to your friend, I'm not really sure when to bring up our arrangement or our commitment or our family status to potential new dates. You know, do you have any thoughts? Like hopefully you're, you know, you, you trust your friend's judgment and think they have like a good handle on, on living well. Maybe they have some specific feedback um, that might help you with that, but you, you don't have to, it's not like you have to go get permission or buy-in from your friend before you can figure out how to talk about this with your other friend slash hookup slash potential new girlfriend. Um, beyond that, you know, we haven't talked about the nature of our relationship. You should talk about the nature of your relationship. I think that's a great idea. I get why that can feel hard and uncomfortable, but it's actually a totally reasonable, not freaky thing to want to do. And I think you can even bring it up by saying like, hey, I know we haven't talked a lot about the state of our relationship um, and that's been working well for us so far. I feel a little nervous about bringing it up now, partly because I don't want to, you know, potentially rock the boat when things feel like they're going well. And also I don't want to freak you out by making you feel like I'm demanding uh, a sort of like instant permanent uh, status update uh, that we both agree on immediately. But I'd love to know a little bit more about how things are going for you. I'm really enjoying this. What are you looking for? Yeah, I. it feels when the advice is be upfront about your feelings and have an honest conversation about what people are feeling and what people want. It just feels true the same way that the advice for health is often like you should hydrate and exercise. And it's like, I know. What about the supplement? Tell me about the supplement I can do instead of all this. Yeah. Yes. Um, and especially if you're coming off the heels of like a bad breakup, I I really understand that fear of like, maybe talking about it was the problem. And maybe if we just never talk about it, there'll be no opportunity for someone to feel, uh, aggrieved. But, um, you know, part of what you're also doing at this stage is like learning about what your potential new girlfriend is interested in. Does she also feel like things have been going great? Is she just like, actually things are going so well. I don't want to change anything. I just want to occasionally hook up, spend time together and leave our lives otherwise like as is for the foreseeable future. That would be useful information. Is she, you know, you know, this is the sort of part of the relationship development I think where there's often that kind of like, I don't know, what do you think? Like I'll tell you what I think when you tell me what you think, but like I would like to tailor what I think to what I think you think first. Um and that can be a difficult sort of dance to to finish. But yeah, it's been a few months. You've been spending a lot of time together. It's not weird or unreasonable to say, how do you think things are going? And you don't have to then immediately say, by the way, you should know I'm never moving out of my friend's house. That's my family. And, you know, fuck off if you want more than that from me. You don't have to at all be immediately offering up all that information. But once you've had like 
a conversation about some of the options that might be available to you, yeah, you should say something along the lines of, you know, you should know that my relationship with my friend is a family commitment. We are in many ways partners. I don't know if you call yourself a co-parent of their child, but that might be relevant. And, you know, I don't know, letter writer, do you ever see yourself having children with another partner as well? Or does that seem like that would be in conflict with your first commitment and so not something you're interested in? Like these are all useful, interesting questions to ask yourself and to talk about with your potential new girlfriend. I, I don't know the answer. Yeah. And, you know, if if you really like this person and if this is going in a good direction, then more information will be good. It will help you to know this person more. Yeah. And it's not unfair to ask someone, do you want to talk about this relationship that we're already having? Mm-hmm. It's not unfair to say, here are my interests and my goals and my priorities. And it's not unfair to say, you know, know a little bit more about my life. None of that's unfair. None of that's strong arming. If you're bringing some of that to this relationship, my guess would be some of that's coming from some of the misplaced guilt that you felt at the end of your last breakup. Um, But again, you're not unfair by having priorities or commitments. You're not strong arming people by wanting different things than they do. And it doesn't sound like anything you've done or said in your previous relationships has been manipulative or um, overbearing or overwhelming. Uh, it's it's just been a case of conflicting desires. And that's hard, but not something that you have to take blame for. Mm-hmm. It's fair. It's reasonable. There's no substitution for a conversation here. And good luck. I hope that you are able to have a really clarifying conversation regardless of whether or not that leads to further intimacy and growth or a breakup. Yeah. The truth will will happen and your life will be better for it. On on one end of the scale or the other, either it'll be better because you have this great new girlfriend who loves uh, the setup that you've you know made for yourself, or you will have had a wonderful few months that um, segued back into a non-romantic, non-sexual friendship because you both realized you wanted incompatible things. And either of those could potentially end up being a good outcome. How, uh, how do you think we're doing, by the way, in terms of wrong and good? Does it feel like we're, we're staying on track with um, getting back in touch with people's fundamental goodness? I think so. Yeah. I mean, I think that with the, the dog advice, the idea was to not try to be a dog overlord, but a dog neighbor, um, <laughs> which goes with you are good. Your dog is good. And, uh, yeah, this one is saying like, you know what, like whatever happens, it'll work out. You are good. And I mean, this is also really an an abundance-based mindset, which I think is really important. Yeah. I I always like using, uh, it'll all work out as sort of filler. And then I sometimes have to stop and ask myself like, do I mean that? Do I think that's true? Do I think that's possible here? Um, and find that I sometimes just say it as like, well, it'll work out Mm. by which I mean, everything might work out quite badly, but it will have worked and out will have been the direction in which it worked. So technically it's not a lie. Yeah. That's just something that it is at times easier or more difficult to believe based on where you are in the process. But by the end, 
it does turn into something that worked out. Yeah. Do you find that, you know, and we don't have to talk specifically just about your your latest show, but I am interested in how this affects your your work or your perspective. Do you find that you tend to want to stay in the direction of how can things potentially work out for the best? How can things move in the direction of reconciliation or redemption? Do you, do you find that that's sort of like a consistent move for you? I do feel like I'm trying to move in that direction lately because I feel like I've spent a lot of time on your wrong about pointing out problems. And at this point, it's like, wow, look at this museum of problems. Problems. Do we have them? Yes. Okay. What's the next thing? And it's just, I mean, thinking about how to do something constructive in our current whatever the heck. Um, I, yeah, I'm trying to think that through. And one of the ways is um, just to create some form of validation for people as they're probably walking their dogs. I know that you had um, changed the name of the show, You Are Good. It had previously um, been more sort of explicitly about dads and 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 fatherhood. And I know that you changed it uh, based on a line from Young Frankenstein. And uh, I, I don't know if anyone listening is familiar. I know it's a fairly well-known scene, but I, I just loved the idea, especially because, you know, that's the scene where Frankenstein's monster is like as distressed and upset uh, as as can possibly be. And it sort of starts with like, now I know everyone hates you, but do you know why? <laughs> because you're fantastic. And then it kind of moves into this like really slightly manic uh, scene of just like your perfection, you're better than perfection, and we're going to go do something more important than inventing fire. Um, mm-hmm. And so this sort of like beautiful moment of like panicked goodness that is born yeah. out of why does everyone hate me? And uh, it was just sort of curious to know like, you know, what about that scene sort of like presented itself to you as as being the right next name? Mm. Well, we were trying to think of names that signaled that it was a movie podcast that was maybe about feelings in some way. And the problem is that there's just so many movie podcasts is that all the names are taken, all the puns are taken. And so somebody on Twitter suggested calling it You Are Good because we had done a shirt that said that because uh, Liz Clemo made a drawing that we loved of Dr. Frankenstein and the monster as like depicted as dogs. So they're like a poodle and a pit bull. And it was very cute. And it just kind of seemed to sum up part of the theme of the show. And yeah, I think that we try to have that energy of just like, I think that this is a time when we have to maybe kind of embrace that sometimes we're just like frantic, lumbering, (laughs) confused Peter Boyles with our thumbs on fire. (laughs) Yeah. Fleeing a dinner party. (laughs) Yeah. And there's just, you know, I mean, obviously Gene Wilder is someone who can make magic out of uh, almost nothing, but especially in that moment, the idea of like, uh, you know, this very uh, panicked sense of wrongness is evidence that things are going to be great. And I think, you know, almost better than anybody else, can he take a moment of just like, he knows it's made up, you know, it's made up, the other characters in the scene know that it's made up, but it's also somehow kind of true and compelling. And it's just like, um, he, he manages to make motivation destabilizing uh, in a way that I think is really, really beautiful and part of what makes him just like always a joy to watch. Yeah. And and he makes it true. And then it becomes a dance movie, which is 
uh, wonderful, obviously. And it's such a nice parallel to the Mary Shelley novel, which is about being pursued to the end of the world by your terrible creation. And just like, I mean, it kind of has the same moral as the pants with nobody inside them. Did you ever read that one? I didn't. That was a one of the 8,000 Dr. Seuss books, and it's about being chased around by these like haunted pants with nobody inside them, and then finally realizing that the pants are just lonely. That's the moral. Sometimes pants are lonely. <laughs> Sometimes, indeed, pants are lonely. Well, on that note, thank you so much for taking a little time to um, advise some strangers with me. Thank you so much. I learned so much about how to advise myself the next time I get freaked out about something in 15 to 20 minutes. Good. Well, I hope it proves helpful and I hope it takes 20 to 25 minutes. Thank you for joining us on Big Mood, Little Mood with me, Danny Lavery. Our producer is Phil Circus, who also composed our theme music. Don't miss an episode of the show. Head to slate.com slash mood to sign up to subscribe or hit the subscribe button on whatever platform you're using right now. Thanks. Also, if you can, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We'd love to know what you think. If you want more Big Mood, Little Mood, you should join Slate Plus, Slate's membership program. Members get an extra episode of Big Mood, Little Mood every Friday, and you'll get to hear more advice and conversations with the guest. And as a Slate Plus member, you'll also be supporting the show. Go to slate.com forward slash mood plus to sign up. It's just $1 for your first month. If you'd like me to read your letter on the show, maybe you need a little advice, maybe some big advice, head to slate.com slash mood to find our Big Mood, Little Mood listener question form, or find a link in the description on the platform you're using right now. Thanks for listening. And here's a preview of our Slate Plus episode coming this Friday. I think, how do you break the news? You just say it. You just you just say the truth, which is that you're engaged and you're going to sponsor your fiancé's visa and you're going to get married. And then you think about how much advice uh, or I think you're making a mistake you are willing to listen to. And then once that limit has passed, and I would recommend putting it in the minutes rather than hours category, say... If this in any way reminds you of your own marriage, I ask that you guys share that with someone who isn't me. Anybody else in the world, just not me, your child. To listen to the rest of that conversation, join Slate Plus now at slate.com forward slash mood.